and welcome to my latest podcast. It's good to have you tuning in. I've been talking to a consumer over the past couple of days about their problems with a popular energy company. We talked about what happened and what their options were going forward. So I've decided today that I'm going to talk to you about energy companies, the problems that can arise and what this means to you. Now, it's a little outside my usual area of comments, but I hope you will see that whatever the consumer problem is, they all have common solutions. Now, if you have any thoughts or views on what I'm about to say and you would like to share those, then please drop them into the comments section or into my Twitter feed at ConsumerFrank. So I shall call this consumer James, just to protect his privacy. In September 2021, James, being a savvy consumer, took out a fixed-rate deal for his electricity supply, which would last for two years. At the time, he hesitated in taking out the deal because it meant that he was paying slightly over the odds of other customers. But he felt uncertain about the future after COVID and so wanted to introduce some certainty into his finances. James was happy with his fixed contract and kept all his documentation meticulously, happy in the knowledge that he had a fixed-term contract confirmed by the papers in his possession. Now, in early 2022, James noticed that he had a positive credit in his account, but left it there to either cover the winter bills or to withdraw that sum of money at a later date. Shortly after, James received a statement from the energy company in which it declared that he was on a variable rate tariff, with the consequence that his outgoings for electricity would start to increase. James challenged the change in his tariff, pointing out his contractual documentation, which stated that he was in a fixed rate tariff for two years. However, the company wouldn't accept what he was saying, and as a result, he made a formal complaint to the company in writing. James waited for weeks to hear something, but it was only after he complained about the lack of progress on his complaint that he was advised he'd have to wait another eight weeks before they would send him a letter to try and resolve the matter. James was not very happy at all, particularly as he discovered that other customers had apparently experienced the same problem, with some expressing disappointment that the ombudsman had failed to recognise the issues and apparently found in the company's favour. I examined the terms and conditions of this company and noted how they could vary the terms of the contract, so had James at any time received a notice advising him that his contract was being varied and that he would be put on to a variable rate. No, came the very firm reply, nor had they admitted that they had sent a letter in the post or an email setting out the proposed changes. I showed James the terms and conditions and it was clear that he had several important rights arising within the T's and C's where he could reject the proposed change or accept it. One thing was clear, the process James had experienced had failed to follow the T's and C's of the energy company. 
It was also clear from talking to James that the company's own attitude towards him was very closed door, almost as if you like pressuring him to accept a commercial decision that he would not ordinarily choose. So we talked about the Consumer Protection from Unfair Trading Regulations of 2008, or the Unfair Trading Regulations for short. Regulations under Regulation 3 prohibits unfair commercial practices, which are then classified as misleading actions, misleading emissions or aggressive commercial practices. Regulation 3 cites the failure of professional diligence in causing a consumer to materially distort their economic behaviour as evidence of an unfair commercial practice. I explained to James that under Regulation 5, misleading actions, such actions, are satisfied if there's false information provided or presented in such a way to deceive the consumer. Further, it's also considered misleading if the actions cause James to make a financial or transactional decision he wouldn't have normally taken. The regulations also cite the nature of the sales process, or the price, or how it is calculated, and they all contribute to the offence of misleading actions. Here I was thinking about how James had agreed a fixed rate contract, and his rationale for doing so, and what it would have meant to him if he had simply accepted this unilateral change. The sales process and contract appear to have been unilaterally altered, thereby having a consequent effect on the price of his electricity supply. Under the regulations, the issue that was uppermost in my mind was whether an offence had been committed under Regulation 7, that being aggressive commercial practices. James told me how they had offered to give him £30 to settle the matter, which he sensibly refused, until he could see how they responded in mid-November. The question in my mind was whether the energy company, through their delivery of a variable rate statement, their refusal to accept James's documentation, and the offer of £30 could be deemed to be commercially aggressive, thereby leading James to have his freedom of choice significantly impaired or likely to be impaired. Importantly, the regulation tells us that aggressive commercial practices can be delivered through harassment, coercion or undue influence. In my conversation with James, I concluded that we would have to look at the whole picture to determine whether the company is pressuring him or exploiting him to their advantage and the means that they are seeking to do so. We also talked about the potential of a breach of contract, where the one party is trying unilaterally and without agreement, not even following their own process in the T's and C's, to vary the contract. I spoke to James about the nature of the law of contract and how variation arises. So for example, we could see in the terms and conditions that they could vary the contract, but they had to carry out certain actions and receive the agreements of the consumer to vary the contract. I also pointed out that variation of the contract can also arise through other agreements, conduct or unilateral variation. 
This was why it was important that James did not accept the £30, as that could have been deemed as an acceptance of the changes unilaterally made. There was a need to tread carefully and make sure that the unintended actions or responses didn't trap him into a different argument. So going forward, James was now waiting for the response from the company to his complaint, and it will be there that we shall see whether the company accept James's point that his documentation confirms that he made a contract for a fixed rate for two years. The company's blurb tells us that the letter that James will receive will try to resolve the issue, but if it doesn't, then he can always travel with his complaint to the Ombudsman. Now here I differ with the company's position. I took the view that we needed to see that response and ensure that all aspects of the complaints are clearly set out, whether that is potential breaches of statutory law or breaches in the law of contract. By doing so, you ensure that the company cannot lay claim to a disadvantage through new claims presented by the consumer through the Ombudsman. Therefore, it was imperative that we wait and see what mid-November brings, which happily James agreed with. In the meantime, in this terrible crisis that we face, I wondered how many other Jameses or Jills were out there. Had they checked their own contracts? Had they checked their online accounts? Do the tariffs match? If not, had they challenged their energy company? Was the company being difficult with them? Had the company complied with their own T's and C's? Did they fully research these issues? And did they follow the path I have defined for James? Or did they take a shorter path, which led to their failure at ombudsman level? And I've seen this time and time and again, where consumers have failed to determine all the facts and read headlong into arbitration, mediation or the Ombudsman and have failed to fully establish their cases? Or is it the case that some consumers simply give up or let it slide because they feel powerless against big commercial giants? These are important questions which could literally mean the difference between heating and eating at this time. There is no doubt that these are difficult times for ordinary people, not made any easier by the vacuum of morality or practice that seeks perhaps to prey on the weak or distracted. Whatever the difficulties, ordinary people are going to have to rise up to their personal challenges and research their way to just solutions. Not easy, but very necessary. The answers won't be found in the chat feeds, of the social networks, but they will be found through effort, and if enough people approach their problems in the manner I suggest, commercial entities will think twice about their own pressures, methodologies, their relationships with their own customers, the effects of their actions on their brand, and their bottom line. Thank you for listening. Until the next time, Take care.